Welcome to the Black Mind Garden, the podcast that helps you retrain your brain so that you can have improved emotional, behavioral, and communication flexibility while you tackle life's daily challenges and opportunities. In this podcast, we plant new seeds that remap your mind and expand your listening by helping you to retrain that inner voice that sometimes stops us from producing the unimaginable results in our lives. So sit back. It's time to retrain your brain. And I am your host and trainer, Dr. Maisha. Hey. Have you ever thought about learning NLP or hypnosis or even being a coach? Even if you simply learn the skills of coaching, it could come in handy everywhere and in every area of your life. Our mind remapping NLP coach training will give you mastery over language, helping you to improve your confidence, communication, coaching, and leadership. So if you're committed to removing unconscious blocks so you can consciously elevate your performance in every area of life, Join our next training, schedule and training interest call at remapmymind.today. That's remapmymind.today. All right, all right, all right. I'm so excited. Welcome to another episode of the Black Mind Garden. And I am super excited. In fact, I just had an opportunity recently, I think it was like was it two days ago? It seems like it was only two it was days really ago. recent. It was very recent. <laughs> we record <laughs> on this guest's podcast. And I am so excited. We're about to have an amazing conversation. And I have to say behind the scenes, we just had another amazing conversation. So this is like part one of a two-part conversation. I really want to welcome today to the podcast, Dahlia Kinsey is the owner of Kinsey Wellness and Communications. And Dahlia teaches body, uh, uh, body-led body eating as a mindfulness tool and joy-centered way of eating. And one of the things that we talked about that hasn't been talked about is how systemic oppression impacts body image. So thank you, Dahlia, for coming on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I've been listening to a lot of your recent episodes and just so much of it resonates. And I just think it's interesting how much prior to 2020, it felt like everywhere I went, whether it's to see a healthcare provider or like a mental health professional, everyone kept denying that how we are socialized influences how we see ourselves Mm -hmm. and how we're able to take care of ourselves. But the reason that so much of the themes that you cover in your show feel like, She's talking right to me is both being from the South, both being black. Like it's really tremendous. The influence that it has being racialized Mm -hmm. and it's incredible that up Mm -hmm. until I feel like as recently as 2020, it was really difficult to find somebody who would acknowledge the influence that people making such a big deal out of one physical characteristic, the color of your skin can have on your entire life. And we knew it was happening. And Mm -hmm. among people that were having the experience of being racialized, we always knew it was a thing. Mm -hmm. But because the majority of the people who help you take care of yourself in a country that's made it so difficult 
for people to complete all the training to have an MD behind your name. Often the people you're talking to don't have that same lived experience. And if they were always told that it's best to pretend you're colorblind, like that makes you a nice person. <laughs> right. and the only people that are racist are people who like don those hoods. And mm-hmm. if you're not friends with the Grand Dragon, then you're fine. There's no right. such thing as unconscious bias and right. everything is fine. If right. that is who's typically been taking care of you and yeah. that's who's been in a position of authority for most of your life, Mm-hmm. then there's been that tension there of, well, at the house, people say this influences how I'm treated and yeah. obviously will affect how I feel and yeah. walk and move through the world. Mm-hmm. But every time I see someone in a position of authority who has the type of secular education that I've been trained to respect mm-hmm. and I've been trained to devalue other ways of obtaining knowledge, like indigenous ways or word of mouth or things that we do within our own community. Yeah. I find in myself, I'm more likely to discredit all of this other wisdom I have been blessed with that can help me move through this life, realizing, you know, the kind of toxic environment that we're in 99% of the time. So there's, it's just been really interesting recently. It's been surreal, honestly, to go from a lifetime of being gaslit And occasionally finding people who are like, yeah, I see it too, (laughs) to all of a sudden, all of these folks coming out of the woodwork saying like, racism is real, y'all. And that's real. It's been, it's just been fascinating, but it's a very exciting time to be alive, honestly, as a person who has been racialized and who's a lover of freedom and wants liberation for all kinds of people. Hmm. I love it. Well, you know what? You you are, are you already got me thinking. You already said a mouthful. But before I dive deep in, like I want to dive deep in, I want the audience to know who you are, like what specifically you do, how you've come to do what you do. So so we have like a little background, a context. So my professional background, I'm a registered dietitian, and as I've grown and allowed myself to embrace the things that interest me the most. I now say I'm a holistic registered dietitian because I know that all you have to treat the whole person, no matter what your specialty is, we can't pretend that a condition exists in a bubble, not influenced by any other things. Mm -hmm. And we also can't pretend that the only ways of helping and healing people are ways that have been, you know, examined in a double blind study. First of all, not other, not all things can be analyzed that way. And studies cost money. And who wants to fund a study for something that potentially will never generate any money. So that's a, (laughs) that's another set of challenges. Right. But I grew up with an American parent and a non-American parent. And my non-American side of the family was always really into using plants, using Mm-hmm. things in your environment to help you from a wellness perspective. Mm-hmm. Part of that probably comes from being raised in poverty, but also comes from having more respect for knowledge systems that come from within the family. Yeah. Trusting that if your grandma said it, your great grandma said it, you know, mm-hmm. most likely they know exactly what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. they didn't just come up with this. It was like hundreds of years of wisdom Absolutely. before them passed down from the generation prior. So right. that's always been a big part of my life. And now my interest in 
plants, plant medicine, herbalism has really started to expand, but it all fits so nicely under that holistic umbrella. And as a queer person, as a non-binary person, as a Black person, I have been on the receiving end of a lot of hostile Mm -hmm. (laughs) social messaging. And it's influenced my self-image and through years of therapy, years of research, looking at feminism, looking at trans feminism, really, looking at equity and egalitarianism through a trans lens, through a queer lens, Mm -hmm. moving beyond just that usually cis white het lady feminism Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. of my youth, right. That Mm -hmm. used to be all (laughs) that I had access to. Yeah. I've really been able to piece together all of the different ways that how we're treated as children and the messaging we're exposed to as children based on identities that we know we have or don't yet know we have, Mm -hmm. how that really influences your relationship with your body Mm -hmm. and your relationship with control and your relationship with food and your ability to trust yourself. And trusting yourself is foundational to having a friendly relationship with with food. So my passion is really helping people understand that if you feel like your body isn't the way you want it to be, or you feel out of control around food, you haven't failed. Dieting has failed you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world around you has failed you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the healthcare system has failed you because Mm -hmm. for years, and it's happening now still. Absolutely. Dieting has been put forth as a healing tool, something that's going to make you better. When so much research and all of my lived experience and all the lived experience of people around me clearly shows all dieting can do is hurt you. That's all it can do. It helps you become obsessed with food. And in the end, it leads to weight gain. Like you see it all the time. And even when you look at studies that said, oh, look, this particular diet approach is successful. It's usually limited time-wise, right? and you just need to really give it a minute. How about you check back in 10 years and see how many of these people, you know, really did achieve the expectation that you put forth as like, oh, you're going to keep it off for forever. Mm -hmm. And you'll see it's worse than nine times out of 10, it doesn't work for people. And in any other area, if this was a type of medication we were recommending people take, if that was the failure rate, that wouldn't be acceptable. That wouldn't mm-hmm. be viable. So yeah. it's not that it has never worked for anybody ever on, in the world, in the history mm-hmm. of humanity. Mm-hmm. It's that it doesn't work for most people. What it does successfully do is cause weight gain, cause more body dissatisfaction. And if you are a person who's been raised hearing like, what you do intuitively, what you do naturally is not good enough. So if you're a gay person, the way you think you should be loving, mm-hmm. incorrect. Mm-hmm. If you're a trans person, oh, the way you think you should be presenting your gender, incorrect. If you already mm-hmm. have that in you, that like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, dieting puts you through the ringer and it teaches you you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. It causes even more damage than yeah. just the physical pressure that it puts on your body to gain and lose and gain and lose and gain and lose. You're better mm-hmm. off staying one size consistently mm-hmm. than yo-yoing and yeah. dieting will make you yo-yo. Yeah. 
I love all of that. There's so many things that that you said, so many things that came to mind. The first thing I, I heard in your speaking was dieting distorts our relationship with food. And you know, I, I want to talk about and the other thing is is when we're um, socialized to what we naturally do intuitively is wrong, then then dieting dieting reinforces that. And and again, behind the scenes by distorting our relationship with food. Mm. So it's interesting because you know, having grown up in the South as a as a, a black person in the South, there's a way that people in the South historically have been thought to eat. Right. And um and and so I'll say I grew up in Alabama. However, my mother was from Oklahoma and my father is from New York. So I have different influences and my dad is second generation um, Jamaican. I, I had to stop right there. I, I was going to say it in a snarky way, like, what? Black people are in a monolith? But it is constant that all you see projected in the media, and mm-hmm. then you experience this when you're a patient. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks every Black person is eating the exact same diet. I just mm-hmm. wanted to put it out there. Can, we, can we just bring some attention to the yes. fact that while we are not the global majority, Asian people are the global majority, people of African descent are second. Does mm-hmm. it make any sense to think <laughs> that a group of people this big, we're all eating the same thing? I just need people to put their thinking caps on. But anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So oh, that that's going to lead me down a whole nother. <laughs> so, so it's interesting, though, because when I was in clinical practice, um, one of the things that I would manage with my with my old, especially my older um, black patients who were so who were used to eating the comfort foods, who were used to eating, you know, your your collard greens, the way that they are are being fixed, um, and and I was attempting to have them modify their eating, their lifestyle. What I would always do that I noticed that my colleagues wouldn't do was ask them, how do you fix your food? Mm. Because the, the, the goal for me was not to have them eliminate the food that they like, but maybe to learn to prepare it in a way that would lower their cholesterol naturally. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially if the taste is going to be there and yes, the exactly. is still there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, how do we, um, and, and, and it speaks to, no, the food that you're eating is not wrong. Perhaps you can modify the way you prepare it to to preserve the taste and have it be healthier. And I think that when we don't actually expand our thinking to look at how do we move around those barriers, it does move into what you're doing is wrong. Mm. Right. And so I can really get where you're saying that, um, you know, we're socialized to think the way black people in the South eat is wrong. And it's just, it's just a, a pouring butter into your veins. You know, you know it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. And there's and all this shame with it too. That I think with it. sometimes I feel like I hear it more from other black people, the shame part that like, oh, we only eat this way because our ancestors were enslaved and it feels so shameful, which is pretty standard. You see People, I don't know if this is universal, but I definitely know in American culture, when someone is abused, you perceive the abused person, the recipient of the abuse as weak, and that feels shameful. 
And so I think a lot of people feel shame just knowing they descend from people that were able to be enslaved. And even that phrasing, doesn't it sound kind of like, (laughs) this doesn't sound rational, but I can hear in the way I've heard these things talked about by family and even work through some of this internalization. Why should I be ashamed when the other person is the one who committed crimes against humanity? Correct. You should be embarrassed. Correct. But oftentimes you feel embarrassed as a person who got abused. And so there's already that shame there that like, oh, these are slave foods. And we're already embarrassed that like we descended from enslaved people. Mm. Oh, we should, we shouldn't eat this way. Or we should pretend like we hate collard greens or, oh, it's ignorant somehow to still put strickling. I, I mean, that's how my granddaddy said it. I don't know if that's even how you pronounce that word, but anyway, but you know what I mean? Like to put that in your food, it's like, oh no, it's backwards. Mm. But is it having that awareness that have you been conditioned to think mm-hmm. that you're the one who should be ashamed of this legacy? Right. When right. you address that with like your rational mind as an adult and you just look at it, does that really make sense to you? Is that thought yours or did you inherit that? Did somebody pass that on to you? Right. Did someone present that line of thinking to you when you were too young to filter it or question it. And it came just from so many different angles, that type of messaging. So Mm -hmm. it's been helpful for me to question what can be celebrated about the way enslaved people survived, the Mm -hmm. way people fed themselves and survived when they were being given rotten food Right. And asked to work insane, long, intense hours, mm-hmm. being literally worked to death in many instances. Mm-hmm. Where is the beauty? Where is the the part of that we can celebrate? And yeah. what part of maybe what we're doing doesn't serve us anymore? And that's an individual decision. Because right. for one person, like even in between my, my spouse and I, uh, it, it's insane what his body will tolerate mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and handles with no problems, mm-hmm. you know, in order for my cholesterol to be where I want it to be, I can't eat animal products. It's mm-hmm. I look at an animal product and it's like shoop, through the roof. I mean, number right. one, your body also makes cholesterol. So sometimes that's a challenge. Like maybe yeah. it's not what you're eating. Maybe mm-hmm. it's you. Yeah, there can be genetics involved. There can be metabolism involved. But what I want to point to something here is that while there are aspects. So I think when we begin to get rid of the shame associated with the origins of our eating. And we're talking specifically now, you know, about, we have been talking about black enslaved people and we want to, I want to just acknowledge that there are many other, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, cultures that were enslaved as well that maybe have experienced the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, there's the, the whole, I saw a TikTok where it was a Japanese creator who was um, parodying what, what a stereotype of, oh, we only eat rice, mm, mm-hmm. right? 
And so I don't, I can't speak to say if that's, if there's a similar dynamic in, in the culture with the shame, what I, with, with the shame. But what I can say is that when we begin to let go of the shame of our, the historical eating of how we eat period, then it's actually easier to make the change, mm-hmm. right? Because we know that we can then enjoy, it's like, you're not giving up your food. And you may be shifting the 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 ratio of how much you eat certain foods. You may be shifting the 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 ratio of certain ingredients that you put in that you normally put in foods, right? I'm gonna tell you, yeah. I love cake and pie, right? <laughs> I love cake and pie. It is um, it is just you know warming to my soul. And every Saturday is a cake day for me. Every Saturday is a cake day. However, for the longest time, I could not get a hold over sugar mm. because I was so, um, I felt so not embarrassed, but shameful about not about sort of this like sugar addiction. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. And, and at some point I just said to myself, you know, I can eat sugar in moderation, and when I re- and I and as a matter of fact, I can eat sugar in different ways. Like, how can I map on? I love apples. I love plums. I love pomegranates. I love you know right. And so it's to be able to do that and shift that and let go of the shame of eating cake and pie <laughs> allowed me to be able to eat cake and pie when I want to eat it. Which then I began to crave it less because the stress. That's the trick, right? Because the stress of the negative emotion associated with trying to get rid of something actually was no longer there. So then I could eat everything else, eat my proteins, eat whatever I needed to eat. There's, there's so many layers to that, right? Yeah. And so I believe that when we let go of the shame of how we, how we have been historically taught to eat, then it makes it easier to shift the eating itself. I think that's definitely true. And you see it all the time, even in maybe something that's not related to food. The minute you try to completely deny yourself something, Mm -hmm. you get obsessed with it. You're Uh just more hyper-focused on it. When something is off limits, it instantly becomes more appealing for some of us more than others. I know for me, even if someone is telling me something that would benefit me, There's this little kid part of me when somebody says, don't do that. I just say, you can't make me. Like that's my immediate response, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. if it's 100% for my benefit. So it is more beneficial for almost everyone to approach diet in a way that allows a lot of flexibility Mm -hmm. and doesn't demonize any kind of food. Yeah. So even if you notice in your own body, something doesn't, doesn't sit right with you, you still don't have to demonize it. You can just know I can have it, but if I do, I'll feel like this. Do I want to deal with that today? (laughs) Right. There'll be consequences. Exactly. (laughs) Like uh, like as all lactose intolerant people know who decide exactly how much dairy they want to consume in a sitting, knowing there will be consequences. Exactly. Don't have to see diet in this dichotomous way, good, bad, evil, you know, acceptable, 
But to see things in that way really is informed by how so many of us are pressured to assimilate and to judge everything in this good, bad, hierarchical way. Mm -hmm. And that in a lot of cases is not consistent with more indigenous cultures or how our ancestors ran things and how we still see a lot of people view the world. It isn't all good, bad. It is, there's a spectrum and Mm -hmm. it's individual. So what's right for you might be wrong for me. And the way people typically put food rules out there, it's universal and it never asks the person, but let's think about your body. How are things functioning in your body? Right. So I have plenty of people around me who eat tons of animal products and their blood work is stellar. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just hasn't been the case. And then I also wonder how much my relationship with eating animals psychologically has influenced how my body processes it. I never was too hyped about it from Charlotte's web forward. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But it really should be an individual decision. So Mm -hmm. you empower people as a healthcare provider when you ask them to come into the process of finding their perfect wellness formula. Right. By asking them, how are you preparing your food and what is this food doing for you? Right. Right. I love that. I love that. Now I want to flip the conversation for a moment because we're talking about food and eating, but I also want to flip the conversation to body image itself because I think it's super important. And I, and I think historically there's been a conversation, whether it's been overt or covert that black people don't have body image issues. Mm. Every black person out there with a flat butt knows that's not true. Whether or not you would phrase it that way. (laughs) How much do you have to hear about that pancake booty? It's a non-stop body policing situation. There's, and it's on both sides. It's like, you can't be, can't get too thin. You can't get too big, right? Isn't that torture? And then trying to control, first of all, no one has direct control over their body size. It's not as simple as you think it is. And proportions. And pe- exactly. What is this 36, 24, 36? What is this? I don't know that that is. Is that how? Is there a person who's ever had those dimensions? <laughs> I, I I know they probably just chose those because it sounded good in the song. Yes. But, <laughs> but, I mean, as a kid, but let me tell you how this impacts though, right? Like there's an impact to that. There's a, there's a consequence to that. Because, you know, we all want to be a brick house. Well, some, you know, some of us, right? Yes. <laughs> That's a compliment, right? Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> and so I remember as a younger person hearing that song, measuring myself. Oh. Like how close to, th- and I, I know, I mean, like, you know, I'm I'm not even close up top to a 36, <laughs> anything, right? So like measuring and and being like, oh, like how close am I to 36, 24, 36? Mm-hmm. How close can I get my waist to 24? Right. Even if my top yeah. is not. And I and so it's, you know, it really does have an impact. And then we have 
Let's talk about these filters. Oh my goodness. Yes, because we talked about that before we came on. We were we started out our call on Zoom and mm-hmm. on Zoom, you know you can essentially airbrush your face these days. <laughs> and put makeup on. You can put lipstick on. <laughs> Well, it's so funny. I don't know what it is about how my eyebrows are spaced, but when I tried the eyebrow thing, it's always right up here. And I'm like, what? I've seen the eyebrow feature work well on other people, but that sticker doesn't work for me. But it's so funny because I don't think of myself as like hyper concerned about my skin or my body image. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting as you move through the life cycle how things will change. Things you didn't relate to now become a concern because I have gotten to that age. I'm 41 now mm-hmm. where nobody's carding me anymore. <laughs> and I, not for a long time, not for I a long right. time over here. <laughs> Some kid told me I was like 27 when someone told me they didn't need to see my ID because they only had to card people who looked like they were under 40. It took everything everything in my body not to jump over that. <laughs> but that's another, that's another identity. Being a person of age is a stigmatized identity. It's mm-hmm. a, a marginalized identity. And basically yeah. being marginalized is you're made to feel that you're not important. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different ways people can do that. Basically by making you invisible, like never showing people right. of age on TV Right. doing things that they could have done in their 20s. Like you can only yeah. be some boring uh, grandparent or something. You can't be a grandparent <laughs> who has an active life and who has her own stuff going on. It's very rare that you see that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that I had internalized that stigma about getting older right. until people kept reminding me, you look old, you look old. Like <laughs> and you get the messages everywhere. So I noticed that increased concern about, my skin. Mm-hmm. And when the little Zoom airbrush feature came on, of course I used it, right? <laughs> because everybody's airbrushing themselves these days. So you worry about kids. When we were kids, you got a lot of distorted ideas about what a body can look like from magazines mm-hmm. and sometimes from television. Mm-hmm. But now everybody Mm-hmm. can airbrush themselves. Everybody. Listen, not only can you airbrush yourself, you can change your physical structure. There are, this part, this part is very dangerous, I believe. There are filters that take away the, mm-hmm. that like basically plastic surgery yourself. No, 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 no shade to the plastic surgeons out there. Right. But like that for, for, Black features mm. will narrow the nose, will narrow the face, will lighten the skin, will take the, will do the little cheekbone thingy. You know, it just, oh it's, yeah. and I've seen it. So there's like a movement now, which I'm very happy to see of, this is what I look like, no filter. Yes. Right? Yes. And so that everybody knows this is what we actually look like. But right. it's fun. Wasn't it, isn't it a little jarring? I know it was for me yes, because when absolutely. we moved from Zoom to, um, Streamyard, I was like, oh yeah, that's what I look yeah, like. That's what I look like, right? <laughs> there's a little, there's a little bit of a, you know, the 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 crow's fee, you know, like I'll be 50 and I'll be 50 in two less than two years, two years, no, two and some change years. I'll be 48 in about th- three and a half weeks here. And so, you know, like you said, like you get yeah. you get this, this, you start to get aware, right? And um, and it is when people t- say that you look like you're 20 something, it's like interesting because it's like where does that 
come from. It's one of those things. I do this exercise in some of my presentations with people who are trying to create more inclusive environments Mm -hmm. where we basically do a marginalized and privileged identity inventory. Yes. And you write down all of your marginalized identities Mm -hmm. or uh, and then I point out to people after they've done it, if you didn't even think about an identity, it's probably because it's one where you have more power or privilege. Mm -hmm. And I didn't notice it in myself. Someone pointed it out to me. This is why we need a diverse group of people around us because people have to hold up the mirror for you. You usually can't see it. It's Mm -hmm. called unconscious for a reason. Mm -hmm. But people kept showing me, because I did it more than once, you keep leaving out age. And I'm like, that's because I'm on the cusp. I'm not really experiencing ageism yet. Right. I'm like, just barely getting there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in 20 years, I will never forget to mm-hmm. put age on there as one of my marginalized identities, but I'm not actually there yet. So that's mm-hmm. just one of those really interesting ones. That and ableism, COVID opened a lot of people's eyes who didn't think they were ableist mm-hmm. because a lot of people are experiencing disability now mm-hmm. and they never mm-hmm. did before. Mm-hmm. And so all this stuff is coming up. And even for myself, I have Graves disease, which is an autoimmune condition. And mm-hmm. when it flares, I feel very disabled. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I noticed in myself like that resistance to accepting limitations or that idea that productivity equals value. Mm-hmm. I may reject it up here, mm-hmm. but when it was me, then it really comes up like, oh, I actually have internalized a lot of the ableist stuff that's in the air. So yeah. when it, we go back to shame, I think it's so important for people to understand that you're not wrong for having internalized negative messaging. You mm-hmm. are socialized this way before you have the ability to filter it out. Right. And it really takes time and it really takes community. It takes other people showing us like, did you hear what you just said? Or like, yeah. um, you really seem preoccupied lately with, you know, mm-hmm. this aging stuff. Sometimes you really can't see it on your own. And we're not meant to to grow Mm -hmm. totally solo. We are social creatures and we do almost everything better in a community. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I mean, there's so, there's so many things. I mean, we talk about, you know, the, the way the filters work, filters can actually thin you out. I noticed that, you know, like when people take pictures, get my good side, take the top so that you look longer, thinner, aware of like I'm five one. Most people wouldn't reckon wouldn't wouldn't realize that about me just by seeing me on a camera, but I'm five one. So it's like, oh, you know, what kind of clothes can I wear that doesn't box me out? I mean, like mm. it's always there. It's always yes. there. People who step on the scale every day, you know, because weight has become this the the uh dominant culture norms of of ideal weight and BMI, which is totally useless by the way BMI Mm. because it's not it's it doesn't factor in any other culture except for white culture and and so um all of these things become background conversations in our head when we look at our bodies every day and then we look at our bodies and we step on the scale and we have an internal conversation about that and then it drives our behavior. It drives how we eat. It drives w- whether we, you know, we're eating a, an actual breakfast or a shake for breakfast. Now, it yeah. drives 
whether we skip a meal or have the meal. It drives, you know, whether we say, oh, I'll suddenly say I'm becoming vegan, right? Um, because that's the right thing to do. Now, I, people right. ask me all the time, well, do you, are you a vegetarian or vegan? Because I don't eat a lot of meat, but it's, I listen to my body the way I eat, right? So when I need protein, I, I eat protein. I don't eat land walking animals, but I eat fish. So people are like, you know, uh, are you vegetarian? Are you vegan? I'm like, no, I'm a flexitarian. <laughs> I like, I love the flexibility. Yeah. Flexitarian, right? When I, when my body needs a thing, it needs a thing. I will, you know, like readily admit that I do still have conversation about the scale. And so, and it's more for me, like I know the weight range in which I feel good, in which my practice, my yoga practice feels best. And when I go outside of that range, I do experience this level of anxiety because I know how hard it is for me to get back down into that range mm. and how it impacts the way I feel my body feels. But still, even that is a conversation that's based in the dominant culture norms and, and, and how I've been socialized in my lifetime. That's the tricky thing, not making people wrong for responding to the environment we live in. Mm -hmm. Cause you see it all the time. Like I really love Lizzo. And mm -hmm. living in a bigger body mm -hmm. and being a black woman, people just, they're so hypercritical. Like you said yeah. earlier, there's these black American standards for what is cute. And then there's the dominant culture standards. Mm -hmm. And you're always like trying to land in the middle, <laughs> which is so stressful for your body because we're trying to control something that our body should lead. Mm -hmm. And your body will respond to your life. So like you being deep in your yoga practice, your body is, you know, trying to do the best it can for what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And it's better to let the body take the reins, you know, mm -hmm. and it's normal also for weight to fluctuate over time. Mm -hmm. But when we're dealing with the real world pressure of people are going to make comments, like people will shower you with compliments if you mm -hmm. lose weight. Mm -hmm. And people will either have nothing to say at all, which also sends a message when Absolutely. they went from, you look great to, hi, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Or like they raise an eyebrow, like, oh. Right. Or are you okay? Or like I'm yeah. a little concerned. Or like, what are you eating? How are you feeling? When what nobody asks. Yeah, nobody ever asks, are you okay when you lose weight? Mm -hmm. Well, so unless you lose too much. Oh, this is community. true. <laughs> Chadwick Boseman. You know, oh. Talking about Chadwick Boseman, they had no idea what was going on. And when he lost so much weight, they were anytime in our community, someone mm. loses too much weight. So they, that they is were, true. Mm -hmm. And that does feel like a very black thing. And I know that definitely exists in a lot of other cultures mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. When you get to a certain point, everybody thinks you look ill. But yeah. sometimes that weight loss was natural for you. Right. So then it mm -hmm. starts to feel like you really can't win. So right. then for me, the goal is let's just stop body policing, period. Exactly. And let the body do what it does, right? Mm -hmm. But then, mm -hmm. too, we have to acknowledge that concept of body positivity. Like, everyone, if you're really free, everybody accepts their body all the time. That's not realistic. It's not. <laughs> and what if you're a trans person? What if you're a trans person mm -hmm. and you're tired of being misgendered because mm -hmm. everybody feminizes fat? 
then to tell you, oh, just accept and love your body, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So you really have to give people more room to accept the reality of what is, that we Mm -hmm. live in a world that is very focused on weight, that feminizes fat, that thinks Mm -hmm. that gender is binary, and that that can be really tough. Mm -hmm. So just giving yourself more compassion, understanding that there's two things we're trying to hold here. Your body Mm -hmm. is wise and it's Mm -hmm. best to let it take the reins. And you're in a pressure cooker and what is right for you can change over time and that's okay. Yes, I love, and I really love that last part. If there is nothing else that you can take away is that let your body take the reins and understand that what is right for your body and you can change over time. That is such a wonderful, like, mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, listen, I'm, you know, me and you, we could talk for hours hours we talked for we like we've got it we almost did a whole podcast before the podcast <laughs> and i i really want to thank you for just leading this conversation because i think it is something that's not talked about a lot and you know and i know this is going to be you know there's going to be a part 2 and possibly a part 3 Right. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm really excited for our next conversation. You've got to schedule with me as soon as we hang up this call. <laughs> Absolutely. But yes, I, I just appreciate you. And and what I would like um for you to 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 share with the audience is if we have anyone in the audience, I mean if we if there's anyone who's listening who wants to get in touch with you, how can they reach out to you? If you visit DahliaKinsey.com, that's D-A-L-I-A-K-I-N-S-E-Y, you can message me there or you could send me an email, hello at Mm DahliaKinsey.com. And also, if you're really interested in trying to take a closer look at what your body is telling you and how to even follow the body's cues, because we said follow the body's lead. If we've been ignoring our body for a long time, that mm-hmm. may not make any sense to us. Like, what does that even mean? I have a free intro guide to body led eating. It's on the website right. and it is, I already said free anyway. <laughs> and it comes with a guided meditation because mindfulness and really learning to pay attention to what mm-hmm. the body's doing and saying mm-hmm. is a big part of making this an easier process yeah. for you. So the bundle comes with a little PDF and the meditation for you to get started. Awesome. Awesome. And you all listening, this will be in the show notes. This information will be you know, just readily available, whether you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, for you. So reach out. And also, Dahlia, you're on LinkedIn. We're connected on LinkedIn. Um, Are you on Facebook and Instagram as well? I'm a ghost on Facebook. LinkedIn is really the best place to find me. I find social media so exhausting, but LinkedIn, it feels fine. Feels workable. Like there's ease there. Exactly. So yeah, reach out. So reach out on LinkedIn if you if you're having trouble accessing any of these other um, pathways to to get in touch with Dahlia. So Dahlia, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait for our next conversation. Really. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yes. And and audience, you know, I I always say thank you for listening because there is no podcast without our audience. 
please share this episode. Share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with a colleague, share it with someone you know, share it with someone you meet on the street. It doesn't matter because this, this information is so important to get out there and how we um, impact people is by sharing. So share the episode, share the podcast, leave a review for us so that the people coming behind know that we're making a difference. All right. So with that said, go and check out Dahlia Kinsey. Her, all of her information will be right in the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week. Namaste, y'all. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, I want you to apply these principles in your life every day. But also, I want you to share this podcast with others in your life who you think it could help, a friend, a colleague, or family member. And remember, go hit the subscribe button so you will know when our next episode is released. Finally, I'd really appreciate if you did me a favor and left a review. It really lets others know that this podcast can make a difference in their life as well. See you on the next episode.